Nehemiah is uh, going to be in chapter 2, a little part of chapter 2. Last week we looked at uh, Nehemiah beginning, uh, hopefully beginning to, uh, beginning to look into Nehemiah's life, Nehemiah's calling, and his service. Uh, some of the things that God had uh, led him to do and, and did in him for the people of God. Uh, we saw that he was brokenhearted about the situation in, in Jerusalem, and we saw that he not only prayed about what to do about it, but he actually took action by faith and went uh, forward and asked his boss, the king, Artaxerxes, what to do about it, or if he could help him uh, having time off and, and paying, for the, uh, paying for the expenses, and not only that, but paying for the job to be done and building him a house and so on. So it's kind of a bold move on Nehemiah's part. Today, I want to look in chapter 2, starting in verse 11. We're going to read a few verses together here in just a minute. Keeping in mind that after he was convicted and after he spent a significant amount of time with God and, and then after God provided a way, this is, this is some of the events that happened as he arrived in Jerusalem. So starting in verse 11, He goes, switch him for me, please. Uh, second slide. Starting in verse 11, he says, I went to Jerusalem, and after saying, uh, staying there for three days, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my uh, God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out, went out through the valley gate toward the jackal, well, the jackal well and the, and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved, uh, moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool. But there was not enough room for my mount to get through, so I went up the valley by uh, night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the gate of the valley gate, in verse 16, the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because uh, as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or any others who would be doing the work. And then finally in verse 17, he says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have uh, been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. Um, let's have a quick word of prayer together as we talk about this particular bit of scripture and look at some things that maybe can help us as we continue to make disciples in our world today. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this moment. We thank you for the example through that we can find in Nehemiah of how to serve you well and how to be successful in our service for you. Help us, Lord, to learn things today and see things today that your spirit would have uh, as a resource to work in our hearts and help us to make disciples. And as we continue to go, Lord, in this day, we ask your blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, there's a few things that I want to point out about Nehemiah and his approach. Uh, first, it's most of what we just read is all about when Nehemiah shows up on the scene he goes off and assesses the job, which I think is a normal thing most people would realize. 
If somebody asks you to do something or wants you to do something, you're going to go and see what needs to be done to get the job done. It seems logical. There's a certain way that uh, Nehemiah approached that, what I call investigation. Um, let me slide number four, please. Anytime God leads us to do anything, I think it's appropriate for us to investigate the work field, the, 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 the place in which God wants us to do the work for him. For example, if you and your family are talking about how can I make disciples in my neighborhood and in my circles of, of friends and family, I think you would have to evaluate who are those people living among you? Who are those people who's out there? What, what are they like? What, what do they do? Anytime a new preacher takes on a, a preaching role in a church, there's a lot of time spent just evaluating who are the people, what are they about, what does the church do, what's in the community, how can we get connected with the community, what does God want us to do, and how does he want us to do it? Are there problems? Are there things that need to be worked out? There's an evaluation and an investigation that needs to happen. Notice that uh, Nehemiah spent the evening in the, at night doing this I think if you're if you're a night person I, I guess I'm a night person I, guess, I mean I stay up not too late but I stay up past 10 o'clock I guess that's a night person right sometimes I, I write my sermons at 10 11 or 12 o'clock in the evening during the week because all of you guys are asleep not that you're bothering me but if I want to be available if you do call me and need to come and have prayer with you I don't want to be behind because life happens to us. I want to be able to share life with you. I want to go have lunch with you. I want to go out and meet people in the community. I want my work to be done during the day and at night me and the Lord get together and talk about the message. That's just my approach. Nehemiah was going around at night looking at what was going on because there wasn't many people around. No one would, con no one would interfere with his investigation because there was no one up. There was just a few people that kind of went with him. Not only, not only is it the benefit of traveling around at night for Nehemiah uh, less interruption, but when you're by yourself in the evening, it's easier to talk to God without distraction about what's going on. Sometimes, you know, sometimes if you, if you can't sleep or if you're just a night person, you take a walk in the evening, what would it hurt to talk to the Lord while you're walking about what he wants you and your family to do for him. What he wants the church to do for him. Just like Nehemiah, he's looking around and he's still broken hearted. And imagine he was told in, in, in the first chapter, he was told that Jerusalem's not doing well and it's all broken down, it's destroyed. And his heart was broken. And he was talking to God for months about it. And now he's showing up and putting his eyes on it. Can you imagine how he must have been feeling about not only what had happened, but also about the enormous task that was in front of him. Can, can walk, imagine, imagine yourself walking around and, and all of Jerusalem's walls are torn down and God says it's your job to build this back up. Maybe on his journey, when he left the king and, and, and showed up before he showed up at Jerusalem, he's thinking, okay, well, God's provided all that I need. He's provided all the means. He's provided all the lumber. He's provided all the, the military people I need to get here. He's given me papers saying that I'm allowed to do this, and I have vacation time to do it. And, I, and he's building me a house to live in while I do it. God is great. 
That's what Nehemiah had to have been thinking. And he shows up and he's looking at the job and he's like, oh. <laughs> you, see how, you see how the ups and downs of our faith can go as we travel through the world and we serve the Lord. Right? We all sit in the church on Sunday morning and say, yeah, we want to make disciples. We want people to get saved. We want the church to be full of people getting saved and serving the Lord and growing in Christ, and it's going to be awesome. And then Monday and Tuesday, we get out in the world and we see the task with our own eyes. We see people who are broken and falling away from God, and we're like, what in the world are we supposed to do with this? And then we start beating ourselves up because we're supposed to trust God, right? We're supposed to say, this is God's thing. He's using us to get this done. And that's appropriate. But it is difficult. It is difficult to stand firm in your face, in, in, the, in your faith when the darkness overtakes the situation. He couldn't even get through certain sections of his assessment with his horse because there were so many piles of rubble around. It was bad. Remember Jesus right before he went to the cross in the evening the wee hours of the night spent some time with God the Father about the task at hand even Jesus himself looked at the task and said this is going to be hard this I really don't want to do if there's another way remember that prayer I take great comfort in that moment with Jesus reading about that because it helps me that when I go and pursue what the Lord wants us to do, wants me to do, and I see that it's bigger than me, I know that it's okay for me to have that feeling. It's okay for me to think, man, I, I don't know if I can handle this. I don't know if I can do this. Because I think that's right where God wants us to be. That's right where God wanted Nehemiah to be. Because when we see things and realize that they are bigger than us, especially a task that God sends us to do, it forces us to depend on him. There's no way that this church is going to make disciples in this community without God. It's not going to happen. And if we don't do it the way God wants us to do it, it's not going to happen. If we don't do it according to his plan, it's not going to happen. If we, don't, <coughs> excuse me, if we don't make the assessment, it's not going to happen. If we don't evaluate who's living here, who's moving into the area, who are our friends and what are they dealing with, what can we do to intervene or what can we do to walk alongside, how can we help, how can we bring God into this community. If we don't do the evaluation and the investigation, we will miss the opportunities. I think, I think that here's the best place to start. I don't know about Nehemiah. I imagine maybe this is true for him, but I don't know about him in that time. But if I don't search my own heart and make an investigation about the walls in my own heart, if they're, if they're broken down and tore down and defeated in my own heart, I'm no good for God. If I don't let him fix that first. If I don't let him repair the walls in my heart first, I can't do, do anything for the, for, the, for the community. I can't do anything for the kingdom of God because I'm broken. We have to investigate our own hearts. Are we healthy or are the walls down? It's okay. If the walls are down, it's okay. It's not the end of, it's not the, end of the world. Jesus died so that the walls can be fixed, so that God could repair what's broken. That's how you make disciples. 
people start seeing you get repaired, seeing you get restored to God, seeing you have the Spirit of God living in your life every day, and more and more you're growing, and they also see that you're suffering in the middle of it. And they start to say to themselves, well, I'm suffering too, and they're suffering, but somehow there's something different. Maybe I want that. And then suddenly you're going into the world without knowing you're going into the world. All you're trying to do is let the Lord heal you. You know, uh, write this down. I, I'm, I'm not. Second uh, Corinthians chapter ten talks about the standard for making investigation or assessing situations always has to be the Word of God. The Word of God tells us what's broken and what's not broken. The Word of God tells us what's good and what's not good, what's bad and what's uh, or what's bad and what's wrong, and what's good and what's right. The Word of God tells us. We don't, we don't go into the world based on our own opinions and in intellect and say, we think this is right, so therefore we're going to get involved and teach people that this is right. We go into the world and say, thus saith the Lord. We go into the world and say, we live like this because the word of God says, this is what it is. This is what's right and this is what's wrong. How on earth are you going to know who's in trouble spiritually if you don't know what's right and what's wrong according to God's word? Not in a judgmental way. We're not out to judge people. We're not out to point out, well, these people are sinners and these people are seem to get it right. No. How, how can you help another person in this world come out of sin if you don't recognize the sin that they're in? I thank God for faithful Christians over the years who know how to do that by God's guidance, who take, uh, who take the guidance from God and his Holy Spirit and love me in the middle of my sin so that I could know, know Christ. In a real way. These people loved me before I repented. They didn't care who I was or where I came from. All they, know, all they knew was I needed the Lord as much as they did. So they loved on me. They've done it enough to where I was able to see for myself and choose. Slide number five has Psalm 139 on it. Verses 23 and 24. Put that up there for me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offense, uh, offensive way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. Two, two, uh, two verses of Psalm 139. I think we would all do good to memorize that scripture, say it when we get up, and say it when we go to bed as a prayer to the Lord. That's a hard prayer to say, isn't it? Think about it. It's what we want, I think. It's what we all desire, to be so close to God that we are uh, working hard for him and having success in our mission, in our ministry, but at the same time, we sometimes neglect the brokenness in our own heart, and it stands in the way of our success and our service for God sometimes. So if we get up in the morning and lay down in the evening asking God to search our own hearts, test me, God. Test my thoughts. Is there anything sinful in my life? Is there anything about me that offends you? I suspect that most of the time we say this as a prayer, we already know how we're offending God. But there's some power in confessing your sins to God because then you have a choice in that moment whether to repent or not, genuinely repent. Because repentance sets us free, y'all. He 
it says, lead me in the way of everlasting. How many of y'all want to be successful in serving God? I mean, really, in, deep in your heart, you just want God to use you for whatever he wants to do, and you want to see people get saved. You want to see people be blessed. You want to be blessed. You want God to look at you and say, that's one of my servants right there. That's what I want. That's what I want for y'all. So why wouldn't we ask him for that? We've been talking all last month about Jesus and his uh, powerful prayer teaching. Right? If you just remain in him, he'll, he'll give you whatever your heart's desires are. If you obey his commands, he'll give you whatever your heart's desires are. If you're tuned in with God and you're genuinely saved by the blood of Christ, I don't see how this verse right here wouldn't be the desires of our heart. And somebody, sometimes, depending on the day, y'all, sometimes you might sit back and say, oh, I don't, I don't want to pray that prayer today, because you know. You know you're in the wrong. You know you haven't spent time with him. You know you're kind of slipping back a little bit in your faith. You know you're looking at the task and like, man, that's just, that's a pretty big job right there. But if we say this, if we say that prayer like this right here, the Spirit of God will remind us that it's not our job to do. It's God's job to make disciples. He just wants to use me and you to do it. He wants us to be available. He wants us to just love people. And it could be the, it could be the, the church, us as a whole, would look into this community and be like, ooh, I don't know how we're going to read. These aren't the same people that lived here years ago. They're different kind of people. Uh, we don't know how to connect with them. That's a reality, isn't it? Sometimes it's just one person in your life. You keep knocking on the door and they don't never answer. You keep trying to love them and you keep trying to preach the gospel to them. You keep trying to witness to them and they just will not. And you finally say, this is just too big of a task. He's never going to get saved. No task is too great for God. And God will never set us up to fail. God is always setting us up to win, to be victorious, to succeed. All we have to do is find his will and stand in it. Missed that dramatic pause. The second thing that Nehemiah did is he, he went and got the cooperation of all the people. He, he was like, he realized, like, look, I'm, there ain't no way I'm doing this all by myself. Right? Because maybe, you know, he probably, you know, he knew that God was with him. But there's no way he's going to, his job was to go and get the people to do what God wanted them to do. Let's look at verse 17. He's, <coughs> excuse me. He said, then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. He says, come let us build the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. He came, he saw, and then he, he brought, he, he put the elephant in the room out there. He set it up on the table and said, let's talk about this. Do you think that the people that were there didn't know that the walls were destroyed? Do you think that they didn't see what was happening around them? Why would he need to lay it on the table? Why would he need to call them out in public and say, look, you see what's going on? Let's fix this. Do you see the distress we are in? That's what he said. And I'm asking you as your pastor, your preacher, do you see the distress that we're in in this community, in this world, in our families, 
Do you see the, the problems that we live in all around us? Do you see it? He then called them to participate. Hey, let's do something about it, y'all. That's what he said to them. Do you, if you love Jerusalem, let's do something about it. Why? Who cares? I mean, in today's world, the Christian can sit back and say, well, I got my salvation. Who cares? That doesn't sound very Christian-like, does it? But that's the way a lot of Christian people live. I go to church every Sunday, pay my tithe, I'm saved. Who cares about the rest? It's sad, isn't it? It's because they're not brokenhearted about the problems in the world, the problems in the hearts and minds of people who aren't saved, the problems even in the hearts and minds of people who are saved. How can we make disciples if we're all broken down all the time? It's not just the heathens and the sinners that are getting divorced and, and making bad choices morally or immorally. Everybody's threatened in this world. Do you see the problem that we got? Do you see the distress that we're in? He said, so why would they care? He says, so that we will no longer be in disgrace. That's why. Let's build this town back up so that we will no longer disgrace God. We're God's people. How can we stand here and let his town, his city, be destroyed? Of course, he can say that because he knows that he's been provided everything he needs to build the city. All they know is, is this guy, Nehemiah, shows up and says, hey, let's build a city so that we can stop disgracing God. And they're all like, sounds like a good plan, but, you know, <laughs> like, see how you're going to make that happen. I don't know how many churches around the world are just like these people. They go to church every Sunday, some of them. The preacher preaches his sermons, and they sing their songs, and they have their prayers and their communion, and they go home. People are dying and going to hell every day, and they're missing it. They see that the church is being destroyed in some ways and they're doing nothing about it. Oh, they'll talk about it in their fellowship meals. People used to go to church back in those days, but nobody wants to go now. It used to be different then, but it's not the same now. If, if the church, if the body of Christ, if we, the believers, don't stand up and make disciples in the middle of these problems, then we are disgracing the kingdom of God. Because we're walking around saying we're believers, we're, we're, we're disciples of the King, uh, the Most High, and we're doing nothing to help anybody else get saved, if that's who we are. And that's all he's trying to say to the people. He's like, look, we're the people of God. Why should we sit here with our walls destroyed? Is God not God? Is he not the greatest thing ever? Does he not have the resources to handle this? Why should we stand here and be defeated? Sometimes our homes are like that. Because life happens, and discouragement happens, and the problem in the world just gets so big, and we just shrink back, and we're just like, I can't do it anymore. And we forget who our God is. We forget to draw on his strength and his power and his, his, his mercy and his grace. Sometimes sin does that to us. Sometimes we get to this place where we're like, I've sinned so greatly against God, I don't think it could ever get fixed. 
is God our God or not? And if Jesus died on the cross and his blood, shed blood, his holy blood was shed for the soul of every man, woman who will believe in him and is so powerful and we believe that, then why aren't we running into the streets screaming it to the world? Maybe we are in some cases. Maybe, maybe some churches are doing it. Are we doing it always? Maybe some churches are failing. All I know is I don't want to be a disgrace to my Lord. I don't want our church to be a disgrace to God. I don't want your homes to be a disgrace to God. That's why God says, I wish you would be cold or hot, because when you're lukewarm, I'd just rather spit you out of my mouth. God wants to know where we stand. He wants to know if you're with him or not with him. Nehemiah is just saying, hey, I believe y'all love God. I believe that y'all are God's people, so let's stand up and act like it. Even if we're scared, even if we don't know how to do it, let's do something. You see the point, I hope? So he's trying to get the cooperation of these people, and it takes cooperation between all of the body of Christ. All of the body of Christ together has to work for the kingdom, for the same purpose, all around the world. We have a responsibility here in this part of the world to this community. And we also do what we can for other parts of the world when we can because that's what the kingdom work is about cooperation involves sharing life together it involves praying for one another sharing our needs so that we can lift them up to God together it involves sharing our experiences and our testimonies when God is doing something in your life share it with some other believers so they'll be encouraged so they can praise God about it don't keep it to yourself to God be the glory in all things. Even if it's nothing significant, even if it's just the smallest thing, even when you're just praying over your meal with your friends and family, to God be the glory that there's even food on my table and that there's even a reason to consume it. Because if I'm not saved by the blood of Christ, there's no reason to consume anything. Because once I leave this world, it's over. I'm in hell for eternity. See how depressing that is without Christ. But because I'm saved, I can look at my meal and say, you know what, I get to be saved, I get to be a child of God, I get to serve the king, and I get to eat ribs. Isn't that awesome? And I have to train myself to give God the glory for the salad on the table. I like salad, but it's not, you know. I tried to put barbecue sauce on salad one time, it just didn't. Let me tell you something about people who aren't saved. We're going to talk about cooperation with other people. You need other people to serve the Lord. That's why you can't just not go to church, not be a part of a church. You have to be a part of a church to serve God and be successful. The people who, who, who aren't saved could care less about making disciples because they're not a disciple. They could care less about sharing God with anybody. We're, we're the ones that get to do that. We're the ones called to do that, assigned to do that, commanded to do that. We get to love people in that way. Even when we're rebuilding the walls of our own heart, we need help, don't we? We need people in our lives. Sometimes God's hands and feet come in the form of you guys for your preaching, or you guys for each other, or some 
person we never met who's part of the body of Christ will come up to you in just the right time in the right place and do the right thing based on God's guidance. That's how the body of Christ works. That's how the kingdom of God works. It is the body of Christ and all the believers together in unity for the one purpose of going into the world and making disciples for the task at hand. And what a task it is to convince a person to give up something that they dearly love because it, it, it offends God. Think about it. You know what I'm talking about. Every one of you had a hard time repenting of being a sinner when you got saved. Because you loved your sin. That's what we do. We wouldn't sin if we didn't love it. Here's something. Here's a fact. When people are sure of their goal and purpose, nothing will hinder their cooperation with each other. If everybody's in the will of God and pursuing the will of God and everybody's on task for making disciples and whatever God provides for that, if we're all on the same page, nothing can stop us. And I mean us in this room, in this congregation, and us around the world who are believers doing the same thing. It might, you know, sometimes people get to the point where they, I don't know if it's complaining or just lamenting or what it is, but we sit around and it's like, man, the world seems like it's, Going downhill, nobody loves the Lord anymore. It might be true, but let me say something. The body of Christ is bigger than what we can see. There's a believers all around the world doing work for the Lord. And Satan might have his way, and wickedness and darkness might seem heavy in the world. But it will never extinguish God's light. There will always be God's truth in this world, in the hearts of the believers who are faithful. Isn't that awesome? Don't that give you courage to stand up in this big task? I mean, just this community right here, it's just like sometimes we stand in a parking lot when nobody's around and you're just like, where do I start? How do I get connected? And who, You can go down to the corner grill down there and try to meet people and it's like, there's a lot of people in here. <laughs> where do I start? If we don't learn to pay attention to the Spirit of God and His leading, we won't be successful. We won't make it. We've got to figure out that it's God doing the work. We're just available. We just submit to his ways. <coughs> All right, the last thing that we can see from Nehemiah today, really, really, this one's about the people of God. Right? Look at verse 18 to 20. <coughs> I don't remember. Yeah, there it is. Verse 18 says, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. So he's like, he gives it to him. He's like, all right, relax, relax. The Lord's providing, right? And then he, so then he says, they replied. Here's what they said. They were like, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. So verse 19 says, but when, uh, when Sanballat and, and Horonite, Horonite, Tobiah and the Ammonite official of Gesh, uh, and Geshem the Arab heard about it. They mocked and ridiculed us. And they said, what, what is it you are doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? And then finally in verse 20 he says, I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you will not share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Let me tell you something, y'all. Those are some powerful words he said to those people. The reason they're powerful words is because he said those words to some people who are important. And he's saying to them, you don't have any part in Jerusalem. 
but he's saying it with all the authority of God. Isn't that great? <laughs> if we try to talk like that outside of God's will, then we're in trouble with God because we think something about ourselves that ain't right. Look at these three statements that he made about the people, Nehemiah made about the people of God in this moment. First, he says, this is the will of God, y'all. This is, this is, here's how I know it's the will of God, because God's gracious hand is upon me. God is with, remember, remember when Moses shows up in Egypt? He walks up to God's people and is like, hey, I'm here to uh, go tell Pharaoh to let y'all go. Y'all ready? <laughs> and they're all looking at him like, you do that. We'll see how it works out, right? So he goes up there and says it to him. But not, not until after they got together and prayed about it, and they came back, and what did they say? What did they say to Moses? If God is with you, then we'll be with you. As long as God is with you, we're going to do where you go, go where you go and do what you do. Isn't that great? That's where God wants us to be. Now, of course, as soon as they got out in the desert, they were like, what would you bring us out here for, Moses? Don't be that people. The same thing is true for these guys. They're showing up. They're showing up to Nehemiah. Just shows up, and they're like, "We don't know who this guy is, but he's obviously with God. So let's go with him." Because they really did want the, the walls built up. They really did not want to disgrace God. They did, really did not want to live in defeat like that when they didn't need to. So of course, when there's evidence that God's will is there, let's jump on board with that. Who doesn't want to do that? Then the second thing he says. We will be obedient. They said we will be obedient to God in this task. That's all God is asking from you, y'all. When he says to go in to make disciples, go into the world, make disciples, baptizing people, all that stuff, all he wants you to say is that as long as it's your will, Lord, we're, we're going to do that. We're going to do whatever God wants us to do. That's a, that's a strong commitment, isn't it? Notice the word obedient keeps coming up in Scripture. That's because God is king. He's in charge. He's the boss. He's the creator. He's holy. And we, and we don't deserve anything that he has for us. He says, it, he says this. Uh, <clears throat> he says we don't scoff. You see that? He said, what are you doing? He said, are you rebelling against the king? He said, I answered him by saying the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start, uh, start rebuilding, but as for you, you have, you have no share in, 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 in Jerusalem or any claim in, historic, uh, in, any claim in historic right to it. We don't scoff. We're people of God. We obey. We don't question God. And we don't put any governing authority in this world over God's authority because that's what they're doing. They're saying, uh, what are y'all doing? And what king gave you permission to do this? Did the king say you could do this? Keep that in mind for today's world. Their determination, these people got determined. Are you determined to make disciples? Are you determined to serve God well? They got determined because they saw God's will and someone else came along and helped them to be encouraged about it. And they were convicted because they did not want to disgrace God. What if you woke up one day and somehow God revealed to you that some part of your life was a disgrace to him and his kingdom? 
What if it was clear, crystal clear and obvious, you couldn't avoid it, couldn't get around it? How would you respond to it? If you're studying your Bible and you're spending time with God, that should happen to you on a regular basis. We should always be convicted about that. We should always be, God should always be cleaning house and restoring the walls of our hearts so that we can go into the community and save people from the destruction that evil has on us. Slide number nine, last slide. <clears throat> I think it's just the end slide. <clears throat> Look, y'all. Just like Nehemiah, we will always have what we need to be faithful. We will always have what we need to be successful servants to the king, our Lord. We will never be in need, and we will never be set up to fail. Now, the perception of that might be different in our minds because of persecution, because we lose friends, because it's not popular to be the Christian in the world today. But what it comes down to is what God thinks about you. That's the only thing that matters when it comes to being successful servants of our Lord. <clears throat> you want to be successful in your service to the Lord? You want to be successful in your witness for the kingdom of God so that people might get saved from it? Maybe these three things need to be a part of your life on a regular basis. We need to be always investigating the situations, always investigating what's going on in our life and the lives of those around us, always looking for opportunities. And then we need to go and get other believers to get involved, at least praying about it, praying for you, encouraging you, seeking the Lord with you, verifying that what you think and what's going on in your mind is something that God is saying or you're off base. I don't know how many times i got to have people check my thoughts for me. Sometimes I can't be trusted with my own thoughts because I don't know how to evaluate them. So I say them out loud to somebody so they can tell me. Trusting that they are God's servant and they're going to tell me right. This is how we get determined because our hearts get broke. We have passion for those who are lost. We have passion for one another. We have passion for this church to be successful and people would come in here and get on fire for the Lord. We have passion for what the Lord's going to do and the answers that he's going to give us for our prayers. People are going to come from everywhere and they're going to serve the Lord with us and God will be glorified and we're going to be humbled and it's all going to be about him. People are going to get saved. That's what God promises if we find his will and stay in it. Here's the reality of the assessment and here's the call to service. Our children are under attack every day in the school, in the community, sometimes even in their own house. They're under attack by lies. They're under attack by false truths, immoral ideas. Our men are being destroyed by society's false ideas of truth. They're not being taught to be godly men anymore. Some of them aren't even taught to be, how to be a man, period. They're being told not to be men. This is a direct attack on what God has created. The walls are down. What are we doing about it? What can we do about it? What would God have us do? Our family structure, everything that God created and put in place is under attack by our own society and even our own government. 
at times. This is why disciple making is the most important thing there is to do in the Christian's life. And this is why we sacrifice everything else we love when it's called for. Because people are dying and going to hell. And before they die and go to hell, they suffer greatly in their sin in this world. It's sad. And it's getting more and more evident that the walls are down. And the reason I know the walls are down is because all of this is infiltrating some churches around the world. There are churches that are just accepting all of this. Seeming, it's, they seem like they're just dismissing everything that God says in this Bible. And it's a disgrace to the kingdom of God. And I pray that this congregation especially never gets to that point. That we would never disgrace our God. That we would never disgrace the gospel message. And we would never be a disgrace to what Jesus did on the cross. With God's help, we could be successful, y'all. I'm excited about that. I'm excited to serve our Lord in this way. I'm excited to tell people about Jesus, about uh, repentance, about forgiveness, about sin, about anything that has to do with pulling them out of what Satan has on them. I'm excited about doing that. But it's a big task. I don't know what to do about all the mess that's going on in the world. I remember in the, y'all going to laugh at me, but I remember in the 70s riding my bicycle around right? This little town I grew up in, singing, thank God I'm a country boy. That's what I did when I was a kid. I was free as a bird. No concerns. Because our world was different. For one thing. And two, I probably wasn't old enough to know about sin in a way that I should. But how things have changed. How things have changed. Y'all, we can, we can look at this in two different ways. We can be people of God in this part of the world, in this time and day, and we can just be flat out defeated because it seems like wickedness and evil has taken over the world. We can do that if we want to. Or we can be people of God and stand firm in the truth be excited about what he's done in our life, be excited about his blessings, be excited that he's bigger than any problem in this world, all put together. And we can go into this world like a firestorm and tell people about his love. I think that's what honors him. Now, maybe they won't get saved. Maybe we'll get persecuted. Maybe they'll totally reject us for the rest of our lives. But at least we won't dishonor God. At least we won't be a disgrace to our Lord. At least it won't be a mockery to what happened on the cross. Because we're busy about the Lord's business. Isn't that great, y'all? What an opportunity we have. What a privilege it is to serve the Lord in this way. We don't even have the, we don't even have the right to be saved. Remember when it said in the scripture that he told them, guys, you don't even, you, if you don't do this with us, you won't have no right to Jerusalem. He's saying that to the people who should have been helping him build 
And if he's saying that today to this crowd, to the disciple makers, we're commanded to go make disciples. Like, look, you're going to say you're a Christian, but you don't want to make disciples. You don't have no right to the kingdom of God. You have no right to call yourself a Christian if you don't want to be about making disciples. Because that's what Jesus died for. See how serious we get. And that's another reason to praise God. I'm on that side. I'm just like, ooh. <laughs> I was able to say yes to Jesus, and now I don't have to worry about being on that side of God anymore. That's what salvation is all about. If you're saved, praise the Lord. But don't just praise the Lord because you're saved, but praise the Lord because you have an opportunity to help others get saved. If you're not saved, now's the day. There's no need to wait. There's no need to, to put it off. Whether you're here or online, you can get saved. You can turn your life over to Christ. You can start helping build the kingdom of God. And we get to go be with God for eternity when it's all over. So the Bible tells us to stop being a sinner if we believe that Jesus is the Christ. It tells us to repent. Stop living like God doesn't exist. And then it says to, to act like Jesus is Christ. Confess Christ. Don't be ashamed of him. It also tells us to be immersed in baptism for the forgiveness of our sins so we can have the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is Nehemiah receiving from the king all the resources he needed to do the work that God called him to do. When you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, you already have the word of God. You have everything you need to go do what God's called us to do. If that's you, if you want to be saved, if you haven't been immersed, you haven't, you haven't made it official, now's the time. We're going to sing together, and we'll stand together and sing. If you're saved, sing like you're saved. If you're not, uh, now's the time to come up here and do so. Y'all ready?